Good morning, everyone. I was with the Lord this morning speaking to him, and he shared with me, well, he he mentioned to me something that he wants me to share with you guys. It'll comprise about the first couple of minutes, and we'll see where he goes from there. But uh, let me begin in prayer. Father, we worship you, we praise you, we love you, we thank you. Lord, thank you that you you unite us in worship. Because your spirit permeates your worship when it is real worship from the heart. You promise to be there. And then where more are gathered in that worship, your spirit is strong. Because you receive your worship. Father, forgive us as a bride for any minimization of worship that we have done over the centuries. Focusing more on procedure or policy or doctrine rather than your heart. For in your heart lies everything that you have promised. In your heart lies freedom from the enemy. Not just freedom from sin, we are given that as a promise sealed by the power of your Holy Spirit when we accept your Son as Savior. But not only our spirits being sealed and our spirits being freed from sin, but even our minds, our will, yes, even our bodies, You have made this available, but it is in your heart that we find it. It is in intimacy with you on a personal level. Nobody can do it for us. That's why the bride will not be unified through any one man. It will be unified as each of us have relationship with you through your son. Because he is the uniter. Not me. Not anyone else on this earth. Jesus Christ is the uniter. No one else can be because nobody else can afford the payment that he has already paid. So, Father, I thank you. I pray for your Holy Spirit to fill my mouth this morning, that it be nothing of my own doing, but only you. 
You have placed me in a position to be a representative of you. Father, I take that as the most serious thing in my life. And I speak out my heart so even the enemy can hear it, that I have no desire to speak anything that is not of you, Father. I pray through your Holy Spirit that you fill my mouth this morning because we are eager to hear. We are hungry to hear from you. To move closer in relationship with you as your will is done here on earth. Mimicking what you have already done in heaven. In your kingdom. Father, we love you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. A few years ago, just to give a little background um, for, for those that have joined us over the last year or so. Um, a few years ago, the Lord started putting together a team here at Ignition. For lack of a better term, we called it the court team. Because we go to court, right? That sounds pretty straightforward. And this court team was primarily for personal freedom. It developed into a ministry that many would call deliverance ministry in, in other churches. We didn't know any different because it wasn't anything we learned from other churches. We learned it from the Lord. He had handpicked these people to go through a process, to learn a process. Then he taught that process to ignition. We learned that there is freedom in the courts. That there is absolute deliverance available to anyone who knows the Lord as Savior, anyone. And this has been, I, I can't even remember how long it's been now, three or four years or whatever, I don't know. But then the Lord started to open something new to this team. Again, this team chosen by him. I want to say a year and a half ago, he opened up a new court, a court we had never been familiar with. And by the way, if you're confused to the courts in heaven, I, I, I want to urge you to go listen to a series that, that I preached. I don't even know how long ago. It was years and years and years ago. Two years ago? No, I think it was like five years ago. Four years ago. Okay, it was three weeks ago. See, see, this is an example of how, how maybe the Lord is pulling my mind out of time, right? Because I can't ever keep it. <laughs> no, I know it's been more than two years. But anyways, there, there was, if you go in on our podcast and just put in the search bar, Courts of Heaven, I, I want to say it's, it's maybe five, five uh, uh, a series of five messages. 
Um, there is actually so much more to it. Now, I, I keep asking Lord when he's going to have me updated, but the basic information is there. And I, I want to urge you to go. If you're unfamiliar with it, go and, and get some of this information. But, but this became... God opened up a new court to us, and this was about a, this was fall of, not last year, the year before. Yes, 2019. That he opened a new court to us. It was called the Court of Nations. And I have shared a few things that have happened in that court, especially the first couple of months, things that happened regarding America. But I want to share another one with you this morning. I'm not going to share the court case. The Lord only wants me to share a portion with you, and there's a reason for it. It's really quite an extraordinary thing. (laughs) And oddly enough, the extraordinary thing is because of something Satan does. But uh, let me explain this too. Just for those of you who aren't familiar with with the courts in heaven, this is a court very much like you would see a court here on earth. It, there there are procedures there. It is very um, exact. It is very fair. Uh, this is in Revelation twelve ten where the accuser right comes and he accuses us day and night. Those are in the courts. That's in the court of accusation. And I don't know if that's really what it's called. That's what we call it. So I just give that term as something we identify it as. It's, 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 it is personal court. Court of Nations, however, is a little bit different. Court of Nations is where law is put into order. Court of Nations is a global thing. It is not just the, for the United States. It is for the nations. And last Thursday, he had us go to the Court of Nations for a court case that had been in the works, unbeknownst to all of us except one, by the way, four months. And we went to court, and it was over something specific. It was about a specific Spirit. I'm going to tell you what this spirit is, but I'm not going to explain the depth or what this means, except to say that the Lord has told us, as a bride, we've misunderstood the depth of this spirit, as well as as another one. But this spirit was the spirit of Antichrist, the spirit that brings chaos, and... This spirit was taken to court, and I was in a little bit of awe and very excited about this court case because this is not a low-level spirit. This is not even a spirit over a nation. This is one of what people refer to as the unholy trinity. Right? You have Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. These are all spirits. Okay. Again, I'm not going to go into explaining what that is, but I want to point something out that the Lord wanted me to share. In this court case, which Satan did lose, Satan, by the way, was not on trial. It was this spirit that was on trial. 
Satan, however, was the representative for this spirit. And when the prosecution, which in the court of nations, our team is the prosecution. That was a little bit different for us as well, because in the court of accusations, we're the defense, which makes sense, right? <coughs> but in this case, we're the prosecution, and, and we had laid out all the evidence and everything else. And I, I want to read what the Father says, and then I want to read to you, in this word for word, what Satan's response was. I want you to pay attention to this, because this is going to give you insight if you have ears to hear. Bryn had, had given uh, the, the, uh, the prosecution's evidence up to this point. She made her closing remarks, and then the father said this. Thank you, Bryn. Does the defense have any evidence of statement? For the terms have been made known by the prosecution. Then Satan stepped forward and he said this. I was promised a timeline. How can this be? How can it come before the fullness of time? I make petition. Though we will not offend ignition until that day you have prophesied. Then the father came back and he said, Is that all the evidence that you have? Is that all that you can present before he who is holy? I've endured your ruinous acts for too many generations. I do not make covenant with liars. Neither am I a partner with thieves. I made no such promise to you. I will have his head struck. You have no authority here. Then the father said, my son. Then Jesus stepped forward and he said, yes, father. Then the father said, bring out the tool. The precious pen that I gave you that gleams like the sun and divides between bone and marrow. I about came out of my skin with the next line. Satan cries out in court. We petition mercy. I don't know about you. That made me sick. That made me sick. That Satan would actually plead for mercy. By the way, that pin is also referenced in the Word of God. That is the Word of God. It is the two-edged sword. Right? Father says, I have no mercy for you, only judgment. Where is your sacrifice? There are none for you. You will die in your rebellion. I render you guilty of all charges. I command your death. Now remember, he is speaking of this spirit, not of Satan, although Satan's time is coming. Then it was spoken what was seen in the court and written down here. It said, I'm seeing angels restrain this man who is now transformed into a beast. When he first came in 
to the courtroom he manifested as a man, as Satan used to be able to do and can do no longer. As Jesus walks, he is glowing. The wind is picking up. I hear thunder. He's driving this sword into the throat, and he's withdrawn it. The woman beside him is screaming, dismayed. Satan is still and quiet. Let me explain that reference. Because there were two spirits that were brought to court. Only one tried. And that was this spirit of Antichrist. The other spirit, the spirit of the false prophet, was there and came in the form of a woman. And that's the, the one who was screaming. And, and by the way, I get it, especially online, for those of you who will think this is, <laughs> that I'm off my rocker, time to take my meds, all this stuff. I don't put this online, and the Lord has not told me to put this online for you to believe, because you will not. But one day coming very soon, you will see. And you will believe because you see. Because truth is truth. Then the father closed and said this. I have told you from the beginning that I alone am God. I alone formed the earth and all that is in it. I alone formed the seas and all that is in it. The air and all that flies. I alone created time and set it in motion. I alone raised you up as stars. He is speaking, by the way, here to Satan. I alone raised you up as stars in heaven, lords among men. I alone caused your rising. What I gave you was not enough for you, even though it was more than even men were given. And you chose against me. And so I have not chosen you, but I have chosen mankind to be my special possession. And they will take your place. Now go. And he closed that court session. I was with him later. And asking him a few things about this this case, and I want to share with you something that he said. He said, the real cost to Satan has just begun. Before where he hoarded up debt, he now has no more credit. I asked him, am I to understand that this Antichrist spirit is now in the abyss? He said, yes. This spirit, I said, the spirit of the false prophet, is that also in the abyss? Or was it, or what is the status of that? And he said, no, she will increase as the time draws close. It's important to understand. I asked the Lord what it looks like. And he spoke to a couple others, but he said to me, it looks like unity for my bride. Mm -hmm. 
And, and let me read one last thing that he said. He said, Greg, it looks like unity in my bride. With this spirit gone, my bride will come together. We have a lot of work to do. I'm excited. I don't know about you, but I get really excited when I hear the Lord is excited. He's been showing us a long time that the bride will come together. This, for whatever reason, because I, I, I'm not going to begin to try and explain or even understand fully what this spirit meant and what it did. But I can tell you that with it out of the way, the Lord said that is coming. Unity in the bride. That now she will come together. What has kept her apart will now literally draw her together. That's the unity that God wants to do. I want to say one other thing too because... It helps, I, I'm not going to get into this like deeply, but it, it helps to understand some of the movement of eschatology to really understand what is going on here. And I'm going to share what I have taught. And in fact, there was a, a five-part series, I'm going to say a couple of months back, I can't remember. Um, it was something called something about to the to the overcomer or something like that. Is that it? Yeah. Listen to those if you want to know some of the background on this. But but understand that for Revelation three nine to come true, which is the bride fully readied, it's the same as the seventh trumpet that is spoken of in Revelation and that that Paul speaks of as well. That in that seventh trumpet, the bride is fully readied. The bride is there, that, that, that seventh trumpet where the bride is in charge of the world, right? Jesus rules the world through his bride. Never happened before in all 2,000 years since the Lord's been here. Since he literally brought his kingdom to this earth, it's not happened before. It is going to happen. Revelation 3.9 has to happen. That is not a, a happen in heaven scenario. That is a happen here on earth scenario. Go and read it. Go and study it. And if you want more background to that, go, go listen to that, that podcast. I urge you to do that. So systematically what is happening for that to happen is this. It is all the demonic influence, the influence of Satan, even Satan himself, is diminished and eventually gotten rid of, just like you will see in the thousand-year reign. It doesn't replace the thousand-year reign, where Jesus will actively sit on the throne of David, and Israel will be, and Jerusalem specifically, will be the center of the globe in everything, in rulership. Jesus will rule in a thousand-year reign through Israel, and that, that's what we call the millennium. This is different than that. This is a foreshadowing of what he will do there. 
many things will be the same. And there's a reason for that. Because in the foreshadowing is what Israel will begin to see that God wanted for them all along. And the purpose for that is Romans 11.11. And that is that Israel will literally become jealous of what God wanted to do with them. Right? That's the purpose of the foreshadowing. That is the mystery that Paul begins to unfold. And I'm not going to regurgitate all that. Go back and listen to those. It's an important thing to understand. What I want to point out here is the systematic binding and casting of all of Satan's forces are going to happen, and they have already begun happening, by the way, because it will bring what we call the readying of the bride. It will bring the rulership of the bride here on earth, where literally Jesus rules this earth through his bride, showing Israel what he wants to do with them, his chosen people. So wait a second. If, if all these spirits are being bound and cast to the abyss and, and, and then, you know, what happens with the tribulation? Like, how does that all happen? If, if everything's being bound and cast to the abyss right now, then what's going to be left that's going to be evil that, that after the church is taken, because there is a rapture coming, that comes at the culmination of the seventh trumpet. Talks about that in Revelation. At the culmination of the seventh trumpet, we are taken in the blink of an eye. The bride is ready and we're taken. So at that point, we know the Holy Spirit is taken off the earth. Okay, but if everything bad is already gone into the abyss, then what is the earth just kind of blank now with no influence? No, I want to share something with you. Revelation chapter 9 says this. Chapter 9, verse 1. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star falling from heaven, not sent from heaven. Recognize that. It's a key term. I saw a star, which, which, by the way, angels are known in the word of God as stars. That is one of their idioms. I saw a star fallen from heaven, not falling from heaven. I saw that star that had fallen from heaven. That is past tense. Right? This, this principality had already fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Now don't confuse this with Revelation chapter 20 where it talks about the one of authority over that bottomless pit. Right? There is a, there is a separate angel literally sent from heaven in Revelation chapter 20, where he's sent down and he is given the, the key to the bottomless pit and he has this big old chain, right? And that's what he binds up Satan with, casts him to the abyss. Okay? Don't confuse this with that. This fallen angel, this star that was fallen from heaven to earth, was given a key 
to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Think of it this way. He's given a key to a door. Okay, now this is already post the church gone. The church is gone. Off the earth. The Holy Spirit has been pulled from the earth. This angel, and I'm going to tell you, we know who it is. It is Satan. Right? He is then given a key. Go and unlock the door. Go and unlock the shaft. Right? And then what you start to see is you start to see this replenishment of the earth of these demonic forces. So, I say this because we think of the abyss as the final end-all thing. But it's not. If you want to understand that, you need to read Revelation 20 and 21. It's not. The lake of fire is the end-all. The lake of fire is when it is all done. That is eternity. The abyss is a place separated from God. We know the abyss is in the center of the earth. It is also called a bottomless pit. There is only one way to have something bottomless. And that's when it's in the center of a globe. Because then there's no bottom. Everything's up. Right? Kind of a play on words, semantics. But, but that's the truth. And, and the Bible goes and has many times, like when Jesus... When he died, he was sent to, it says, the center of the earth. Just like Jonah was sent to the belly of the whale, the center of the whale. The abyss, think of it almost as a holding tank. A holding tank for all that is evil, if you will. I can't imagine it's a very good place. I I wouldn't think. I know the angels out of Genesis 6 were sent to a special place in the abyss. So apparently the abyss has, has different areas, different categories, different rooms. I, I don't know. Quite frankly, I never want to go there and figure it out either. Lord will show us. But it's a holding tank. All of the demonic spirits, I would assume, this is just my assumption, we, we know of certain ones, but... All of the demonic spirits that have been sent to the abyss will be released again for Satan's work. That is after the bride is gone. Then you start going into the final tribulation period. And then from there, the thousand year reign. And then after that, the great white throne judgment where all of the abyss is taken up and cast into the lake of fire. It's cast away. It's cast out. Right? It's not within the earth. The earth is purged of all of that sin. Even that place called the abyss. So I want you to recognize what is going on here. And why this this court case was so important. I want to go back to what Satan said. His reaction Remember what he said. He said, wait a second. I was made a promise. I was made a promise the fullness of time. And and I get this time. I should have this time to wreak whatever havoc I want to wreak. And the father said, I made no such promise. And so I thought, oh, Lord, you've got to show me. You've got to show me this. You've got to show me this in your scripture. 
Because this is something I wasn't aware of. I never, I never thought that, that all of the spirits in the abyss would be cast to the abyss and then re-released. I, I, and, and I never thought about Satan's mind process in this. Satan thinking that he has rights to all these things, saying, I have right until the fullness of time. So the Lord took me to a couple places. There, do you know in the, in the New Testament, actually I think the whole Bible, I think I searched the whole Bible, but there are only two places that that phrase is used. Right? Galatians is the first, Ephesians is the second. We're going to go through them both here for a second. I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 4, where it talks about we are sons, we are heirs with Christ. Right? But, but I want you to pay attention to some words here. You know, as you start getting into the Word of God, first of all, if you want a pastime, man, I love woodworking. That's my favorite thing. I, I love carpentry. I love building things. I love making old junky things really awesome, right? That's a cool pastime to have. You want a better one? Dig into the Word of God. Dig into the Word of God where He shows you things that you haven't seen. I've been studying the Word of God for over 40 years, and, and, and all of a sudden, boom, there it is. He peels back a layer and, and adds understanding that He's taught in other ways, and all of a sudden, your mind just is blown. Because you realize, man, it was sitting there the whole time. But see, we're in a new day. We're in a new day where the mystery of the bride is being revealed. So expect new revelation. Man, church, and those churches that say, oh, new revelation, you know, get thee behind me, Satan. i got to tell you. If that's the case, then you must think that you worship God that doesn't pay attention to you. Because, see, that's a God that no longer speaks. Unless he's just mimicking his word in these 66 books. But that's not Yahweh. That is not God our Father. He is living he is breathing. His word is living. It is breathing. What he gave us is his word. And he will never go against his word. But if you think that this is, that you can only take the principles of this and apply it to your life, you're missing out on what he has for you. There's an entire mystery that he even says in his word, I will not share now. He literally shut up. He told John, do not write down what the seven thunders spoke. Because it is not time for that. Well, guess what? At some point, it's time. It's time for it. And I'm telling you, it's time for it now. Because God is revealing things. He is revealing new revelation as it applies to this time, as it applies to this day and age. But each of those new revelations, when you press into him, and you say, show me, he says, okay, why don't you go to Galatians chapter 4, and I'm going to show you. 
that it was in my word all the time. You just didn't have the capacity to understand it yet. Because things hadn't been revealed. See, God's word will always agree with God's word. His spirit will never disagree with himself. That's why, let me point something else out here too before, before the, our internet friends kind of go after this one. There are false prophets that will rise up. That's what he was meaning when he said that spirit of false prophet will increase. And I'm not going to speak as to who or what a false prophet is. But I will speak just something very simple on my own behalf. I don't want you to believe me. I don't care if you believe me. It's not my job to get you to believe me. You know what my job is? To teach you relationship with Jesus Christ. Because he wants to tell you himself. And he does. And he will. It's, it's not that I am trying to get anyone to believe anything I say. Man alive. The readying of the bride, the unity of the bride will not come from, from some Pied Piper blowing his pipe. It's going to come from relationship with Jesus Christ opening your own self up to him. And then you will receive the portion he has for you. Which, by the way, you're critical to the bride. Because he doesn't give all the portions to any one person. He needs you to press in to the Lord. He needs you to have a relationship with him where he speaks directly to you. Where he proves it out in his word to you. Because you know what? There's going to be a portion that you need to share with everybody else. Not so then they can soak it in and just believe it. But they could take it to his word. They could take it to, to this, this blueprint and say, does it fit his character? Does it fit in there? Lord, okay, it fits, but... But man, show me, show me, show me. And he'll peel back a layer and he'll show you. It's extraordinary. It's amazing. I mean, I mean that right there should be the real seminary class. Right? It's not about going to seminary to learn all these little nuances of this and that and everything else. I'm not saying that's a waste of time because I've taken many of those classes. I thank God for them. And I thank God for learning some of the, the ways to pick apart certain things. But if that replaces the Holy Spirit, you've made the biggest mistake that you can make. See, this is the real seminary. The real seminary was when John was leaning his head on Jesus' chest, just wanting to be close to him. You know, it's extraordinary to me. Do you, do you know if you look at all the, all the heavy revelation in the Word of God, and it all comes from people that are close to God. All the heavy prophecy, prophecy prophetic revelation, 
See, John pressed into him, says that John was Jesus' friend. I don't know about you, but when you have a best friend, what do you do? Oh, man, I just learned that I need to tell you something. You go and you tell him. You have other friends that you don't tell. You might even be close to them. You might enjoy them, might enjoy their company. But you don't trust them with something extremely important to you. But you do your best friend. You do those that you have built relationship with that you trust. That's what he had in John. That's why he gave it to John. That's why he gave it to Paul. Right? These were men that pressed into him. That had relationship with him that he knew he could trust. Because they trust him with everything. That's what he wants from you. He wants you to be a Paul. He wants you to be a John. He wants you to be the one who is so intimate with him that he could share something with you that he could trust you with. That you will do what he wants you to do with it. Which always begins with proving it out, by the way. (laughs) You always prove it out. That's why this word, I, I had the Lord take me here. And let's, I know we turned there like four and a half hours ago, but let's, let's go to Galatians chapter four. I'm just going to start reading here. Talking about sons and heirs. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. This is talking about when you have a child, right? And he's using the metaphor of a child, one, one that is a little child, no different than a slave. Though he is the owner of everything. Think about that. When you, when, let, let's say that, that you're a king or a queen and you have a child that's a little two-year-old. They own everything. They are the rightful heir of everything that you are, right? But yet they have nothing that they can do. <laughs> they have no say, which, by the way, thank God they do. If, if you look at some of the examples in history of those who became kings when they were little kids, it didn't work out so well. Right? So, so this little kid has all of this power that is coming to them and yet can do nothing about it. They are still as a slave. That's what it's saying there. Though he is the owner of everything. Verse 2. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And when the fullness of time had come. Did you get that? Remember what Satan referenced. He said, wait a second, I thought I had till the fullness of time. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. By the way, let me explain that for a second, because this is an extraordinary thought. And this may open up some other things for you. I've shared before that you are made up of three parts, right? Every human is. We're made up of our body, right? That's pretty obvious, our physical body. 
We're made up of our mind or our will. The Bible calls it our soul, our mind, our will, our choice. And then the third part is our spirit. Let me read here again what he says. When you accept Jesus Christ as Savior, this happens. Verse 6, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. His spirit, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, comes and seals you. Seals you until you receive your inheritance, which is eternal life. And God said here, the entire time that your will, your soul, your mind, your body is even in sin, even trying to do whatever it wants to do away from God, God says here, His Spirit is in you crying out, a Father, I want you. Your Spirit is crying out. If you are saved, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, your Spirit is crying out, Abba, Father, recognizing that He is God. Some of the difficulty comes between your spirit and your soul, or your mind, your will, your choice. See, he will never take away our choice, even after we're saved. Even after we choose him in salvation, that doesn't give up our choice, because that gives us eternal life. But he still hasn't gotten what he deserves. What does he deserve? You. He deserves all of you. Relationship with you is his prize. The very thing that he had in the Garden of Eden walking in the afternoon with Adam and Eve. That's what he had. He had the joy of that relationship. That's his prize. That's why his son gave his life. That's what that means. I didn't mean to tail off there, though. Verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. But I want, I want to go back. Because, again, remember what Satan said in court. I mean, apart from the part where he cried for mercy, which makes me sick. Oh, I can't tell you how I felt. I don't know what it means to want to come out of your skin, but that's about the closest I've ever really felt to that being a reality. Because, see, you can't burst out in court. <laughs> it doesn't bode so well for you if you do that. But I just, ugh, mercy. Are you kidding me? But he talked about this fullness of time. He thought he had the fullness of time. When I went to this one... I thought, well, okay, the fullness of time was ended when Jesus came and died. Satan knows that he came and died. So why didn't think the fullness of time was over then? Then the Lord took me a little further. But I want to point one thing out here. Because he's using this metaphor of a child being as a slave, right? Even though they're an heir to everything, they're still a slave. But then... He, he uses the metaphor of saying that that child is still under guardianship. They are still being managed by others. But recognize what he says here in verse 3. In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to what? The elemental principles of the world. 
Okay, dig a little bit. I'm not going to take time right now. Dig a little bit into what those words are in the Greek. I'll give you a hint. It is the same as what it talks about in Ephesians, where we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. Right? We wrestle against demonic spirits, fallen angels. We wrestle against these because they have control of the world. They were given it by Adam. So he said, recognize that you are under these guardians, these managers. Oh man, that's kind of depressing. And I think that's the first part where Satan got what he thought was his promise. Then he takes us to another part and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm just going to... Let me just read here, starting at verse 3. Blessed be the God of our Father. By the way, I, I really want to encourage you if, you, if you have not dug into Ephesians 1 and 2, please, please do. Please do. Spend the next six months on it. Dig it apart. To, Lord, okay, I've read this a thousand times. I've got, okay, please, I know there's something new. Peel back a layer and, and Holy Spirit, come and peel back a layer and teach me something new. Read it again. Worship. Then go back and read it again. Pray. Then go back and read it again. Dig it apart. There is so much extraordinary in these two chapters. If this is all you had, if you had nothing else, you have everything in these first two chapters. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly, heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to his, himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Let me, let me back up there a second. It is so critically important to understand that he chose us. You are chosen. Mankind, we read it earlier, right? Mankind is chosen over the angels. Right? Even though they've been given more power, man was less power. Even when Jesus became a, a man, he was, he was made a man a little lower than the angels. Right? But, but that choice is for mankind. Then he predestined us for adoption to himself. This is not him making the choice of you over another. I want to make that clear. This is not about him choosing you over another because you please him more than maybe another. And so I'll, I'll, just, I'll just choose this person because, you know, they like cool things like I do. So, you know, even though they don't even exist yet, haven't even created them yet. No, this, uh, an, an easier way to understand this is knowing it through forethought. 
knowing it through what was coming. God is outside of time. He literally created time and set time into motion. So being outside of time, he knows what is coming. Right? He chose mankind before mankind was ever born. That's why he created us, because of that choice. He chose to make you love. See, Hebrews tells us you're not like the angels. Right? You were created for fellowship. You were created for love. So I I don't mean to get sidestepped on that there. Um, Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious, glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery, there's that buzzword, the mystery of his will. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. To unite all things in him. Okay. (laughs) This is where Satan screwed up. And I love it. He thought through these two verses he has the fullness of time. Before he is going to be bound. And God held out of this book, this grand mystery that Paul began to shed light on. Because it wasn't because he didn't want you to know it. It's because he didn't want Satan to know it. He didn't want Satan to know his plan. His plan for how he would ready his bride. His plan for how he would restore this relationship that was stolen by Satan himself. And so he says here, you know, all this until the fullness of time. Which, what is the fullness of time? He says it right here. To unite all things in him. So Satan figured he had until the end of time when Jesus returns after the seven-year tribulation period where everything is bound. Satan himself is bound and cast to the abyss, uniting everything in Jesus Christ. Okay, there's a problem with that. They're not all going to be united with Jesus Christ. Not at the end of the tribulation. Don't assume that the only ones that make it through the tribulation are people that do not know him. I mean, are people that know him as Savior. Right? Because any who declare Christ in the tribulation, Satan is going to try and kill. The Antichrist will try and kill. He's not going to get to everybody. We know of a particular 144,000 that he wishes he could have gotten to because they wreak havoc. And they literally bring one of the biggest revivals known to mankind. And all of this will happen. Well, when Jesus finally comes, when Israel cries out, Jesus, you are the Messiah, come. He will come. He will unite everyone by destroying the enemy. 
But those who do not know him as Savior, which, which we know that's still the case because it says in the thousand-year reign that he rules with a rod of iron. He wouldn't have to if that weren't the case. So I can imagine Satan thinking, oh, I got until Jesus comes at the end of the tribulation. Then what starts to unfold is this grand mystery, this mystery of readying of the bride, of what he's doing right now. Remember, Satan is one of those managers. He's one of those guardians that was never intended to be there but literally was given authority because Satan, because it was handed to him by Adam. And, and so the uniting of all things in him is not going to happen at the end of the tribulation. It's going to happen now, in this time, in this day and age. It is about the systematic, and by the way, systematic by God, not by us. Not even by the bride. The systematic taking down of these strongholds that have been over the earth since the beginning. That's why Satan cried out. He said, wait a second, I thought I, thought I had till the fullness of time. <laughs> the father said, no, I never promised you that. You know, you could just imagine. Imagine what he's thinking now. Imagine Satan literally, probably digging through scripture right now, trying to figure out where his hand actually lies. What he has, you know, think about it. To him, this is the enemy's communication, right? To Satan, what's the most important thing in war? It's knowing your enemy. In fact, it's knowing the communication of your enemy. Right? That's what they try to do. I'm sure that's what he's doing now. Well, guess what? That's why God isn't revealing it all at once. That's why he still hasn't, and he still isn't, but he's giving pieces. He's revealing pieces as his bride is pressing into him. Not for the purpose of personal gain. Oh, woe to the prophets that 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 look at his word and his revelation and use it personally. Wow. Don't. That's not what the gifting's for. It says the giftings are for the bride. It's for the bride. If he gives you revelation and it is from him, it is for the bride. It is not for you to make money on. I declare this in Jesus' name. We will never, to, to my knowledge... And I say this out loud because as we get large, if it ever happens, I want to know about it because I'm going to stop it. We will never make money on what God gives us for free. Preach. We'll just never do that. That's stupid. That's stupid. He gives us our money anyway. So why in the world would I want, why would I want somebody else to be responsible for giving me money when... My father is the one that owns it all. So it's him that does it. He will rise up prophets for this day. He is rising up prophets for this day. Because let me tell you what. I'm going to read one other thing to you he just brought to my mind. Wow, I didn't know you were going to go here. 
but he wants me to read this. He had me make a declaration back in January 6th. And he wants me to read it again. I have no idea why, but I'm going to out of obedience. This was declared January 6th. If I recall correctly, it was a Sunday morning, but I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm not sure. I know it was on a public format. It might have been on Tuesday night. I can't remember. But I'll read it again, and I will declare it again. Father, we worship you and praise you and declare that your will be done. As your branch, I pass judgment on this nation in Jesus' name. You have said that this nation is ripe for discipline, and I stand in agreement with this discipline in Jesus' name. I further pass judgment on those who would manipulate law to do their own will. Even those who, for peace's sake, would settle on anything less than your will. Those in power throughout our government are to be held accountable for their choices. I say, come to your Holy Spirit to do your work and perform your will. Holy Spirit, come. Bring your fire. Father, you have promised freedom in you and in this nation through you. This will come to pass. I declare it in Jesus' name. The revolution begins now. The only thing I can tell you is that there are many things that God is doing behind the scenes. We've seen it in the courts. We've seen it in the spirit. Many others have as well. What God has prophesied is coming, is coming. But I could tell you in him having me read this again and state this again this morning, it wasn't for some extra authority. or that, that was already done. That was already said. I believe he wants it as a reminder because we are shifting into a new time. You're going to see manifest in this realm those things that have been happening in the spirit. You're going to see in this realm the justice of the hand of God move. And unless you're ready for it, unless you're pressed into him with relationship, it's going to surprise you. It's going to scare you. And it's going to confuse you. The answer is not academic. The answer is not even going back and listening to all the podcasts from the very beginning. The answer is pressing into the Lord. He's the source. He's the voice. You don't have to be afraid of what's coming. We are entering a time. I'll leave it alone. You don't have to be afraid of it. Just watch what he does.
In fact, with relationship with him, it's just the opposite. It's like, you go, God. Do it. Do it. And I'm with you 100%. Do it. Because you've shown what it means at the end. You've shown that it means the readying of your bride. You've shown that it means Jesus on the throne through his bride over this entire earth. It literally facilitates the end. Think about that. How many times have we thought, I just want to be in heaven. All this junk be over. And how many generations have passed with those thoughts? When God was just waiting for one generation. And when I say generation, I mean people that are actually breathing. I'm not talking about age. I'm not talking about just the young people. No, it's going to be young people. It's going to be old people. It's going to be in between people. The one thing that I can guarantee you is they'll be breathing. That's what I mean by generation. So he's just up there waiting for a generation to figure out that they're the generation. All it takes is relationship with him. Do you know if this would have been figured out 1,500 years ago, it wouldn't have changed God's plan. The bride just would have been in dominance on the earth as long as they allowed him to do it for however long it would have been. Doesn't hold back the time that God is bringing for Israel. He never, he never set a time frame. I don't know how long the bride will be in charge of the earth. I know it will at least be a moment, because it has to be, to make Revelation 3.9 come true. But the more time, because God does have a time set for this. So the more time that he does this beforehand, the more time we enjoy it with him. I believe this generation, those who are living and breathing right now, I believe that they're going to get it. Because they're already starting to. They're already starting to recognize what unity in the bride is. You see him pulling away from, from the organizations that control. Let's come on up. That's what he wants to do. And it starts with you having relationship with the Lord. Not just salvation, but building an intimacy with him and having that relationship with him. I know this is a big, high concept that God is doing, and I'm praying, and I've been praying that it's something that can be absorbed. Um, I heard a phrase one time that I think is so true. I don't remember who said it, but it said that the greatest tragedy is not the loss of a life, but the loss of the understanding of of the purpose of our lives. And... Ephesians 1 and 2, which we talked about even in the ladies' class, do go and read that. Read what God has for the ecclesia, for the bride. Because in all that was shared this morning by the Holy Spirit through Greg is begs the question, where do I fit in in all of this? What is my unique purpose? 
And there is. When he said, I hope the one phrase that he mentioned today is not lost on you, which is, it is critical that you know where your peace is in this. Because God needs it. You are called. And um, so it's, it's a lot. But I, I want to challenge you to go back through um, these messages and understand again the filter of the courts. Because we, God trains us a lot around here about the spirit realm and understanding that that is the real reality. That is the establishment. Dig, dig even just into one verse, which is Matthew 18, 18. And understand that what happens here really is established in the spirit realm. I love the Amplified Classic in that particular verse. It kind of unpacks it a little bit more. But we're going to pray and, um, and again, just be asking the Lord. Because this is life-changing stuff. This is not just, yeah, that's really a neat idea for the kind of the, kind of the bride, the, the people out there. No, this, is, this has impact On the very thing you are going through right now, understanding who you are in Christ, what your authority is, and and how God wants to use you impacts even our immediate issues and problems in life when we understand our authority. So let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this word this morning, God. Thank you, God, for what you have chosen us and called us to do. Thank you for this inheritance that if we have asked you, Lord Jesus, into our lives, Father, you have promised us all, every spiritual blessing, to be the overcomer, to be more than a conqueror, to have everything work for good, everything work for good because you are good. God, I just praise you for the promises, so many promises that you've given that we we are able to claim and, and oh God, I, I just, I love and declare Ephesians 3.20, God. That you will work within us in consequence of the spirit within us by your Holy Spirit. You will do exceeding abundantly beyond, infinitely beyond what we could even dare to ask or think. Thank you, God, for being such a great God and actually wanting to work through us. And in that process, offer such a beautiful relationship God, I thank you and I praise you today that we get to enjoy you each and every day. Thank you that we get to talk to you each and every day. Thank you for telling us in Colossians that it is your will. When we always try to find out, well, what's the will of God for me? What am I supposed to do? God, it is your will that we just be thankful. That place of worship unpacks all the rest. Because you inhabit your worship, as was said earlier. You actually dwell within the worship that is poured out to you. And that is where deep revelation comes for who you are and who we are in you and what in the world are we here for? How in the world are we going to get out of this mess or that mess or overcome this or that? God, you are just so awesome. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for who you are. Let that never be some abstract poster or bumper sticker or engraved bracelet but let it be a reality a reality that we live and move and have our being within that life transformative truth thank you god we just worship you and i pray that you would help beyond even what our minds can absorb let our spirits and every other part of our being just absorb this truth this morning that it because we know your word does not return void But God, we need 
we need you for these deep places of revelation. So I just pray that you would drive it down deep, deep, deep into the soil of our hearts this morning. And we will give you the praise for it. Thank you, God, for today. In Jesus' name, amen.